As a freshman in high school, my dad took me one night to see a movie that had just been released in theaters called Lord of the Rings. Now, those of you familiar with this movie will likely know that it's based on the wildly popular series of books by the author J.R.R. Tolkien. However, at the time, I was admittedly only vaguely familiar with Tolkien. I didn't spend too much time with books uh, as a teenager, but I didn't really know that much about this book, much less this movie, when I showed up at the theater that night. And it was in, the movie was showing because it had just been released in one of those uh, awesome, huge auditorium-style theaters with the big, comfy chairs. And I took my seat, and the movie began, and it was fantastic. Almost right from the get-go, I was just swept up in the characters and the scenery and the plot and the action. And before I knew it, about three hours had passed. And I think at that point, somewhere in the recesses of my mind, I began to wonder, man, this is going on a while. How in the world are the filmmakers possibly going to begin wrapping up all of these plots and character flaws that they have developed over these last few hours? And right as the story was really thickening, the camera cuts to the scene as this scene of Frodo Baggins, who is the main character, and his friend Samwise Gamgee. And Samwise has been begging Frodo to be able to go with him because he's about to start a much more dangerous part of his journey. And so in this scene, Frodo finally says to Samwise, okay, you can come with me. And the camera cuts to a shot where they're coming over the top of a mountain and it pans out and you see this beautiful, vast mountain range and the theme music begins to come up and the screen goes black. And I'm sitting there staring blankly ahead, I think, with a slight tilt in my head. And I'm thinking to myself, that is the lamest ending to any movie I have ever seen. I mean, do they have any idea all the questions and conflicts that they just left totally unresolved? And my dad was sitting there next to me, and he looks over, and I think he reads my mind in that way fathers are able sometimes, and he whispers into my ear with a slight grin on his face, to be continued. Of course, I found out afterwards that there are two more movies in the trilogy of The Lord of the Rings. But in that moment, I was so disappointed. The story had been so engaging and enthralling that I didn't want it to end, and I wonder if that is how those two Marys felt, if only a little bit, only a little bit, as they were walking to the tomb at dawn on that first day of the week so long ago. After all, they too had been swept up in a story. They had learned and served and had been served at the feet of a man who they believed to be the Messiah, a man they believed to be the king of kings, the high priest of all high priests. They had believed that somehow, someway in the arc, the wide arc of human history, they had become firsthand witnesses to the story of all stories. They had believed. But then, like happens so often in life, those expectations, those hopes, those dreams that they had been building up were dashed. They saw what happened three days earlier. They saw what happened 
on Good Friday. They saw Jesus hung there on a cross as a convicted criminal. They had held his lifeless body and stood in the tomb as it was laid on the shelf carved out into the side of the wall. They knew. It had now been three days, and they knew that the story was over. They knew a promise they had wanted to believe so badly had gone unfulfilled. And so we meet them in our passage tonight, which Margaret read so beautifully, when all of this news is beginning to settle in for these two Marys and the other disciples. The sun is just breaking over the horizon on the third day of Shiva, which some of you might have heard. It's a tradition in the Jewish religion that continues to this day, but it was born in the ancient Jewish tradition. And it's the first period prescribed where loved ones will visit the body of the deceased for three days immediately preceding death. And they go there to weep and to mourn, but they also go there to check and make sure that this person is actually dead. And the two Marys set off on the dirt path that third day to visit Jesus' body. And they know. They know what they're going to find when they get there. Jesus' body will still be lying there on that shelf, lifeless. They know they'll spend that day mourning by his, his side, and tomorrow that tomb will be sealed. The next step in the long grieving process will begin. End of story. So they're thinking all of this while they walk. When suddenly, there comes a loud, literally the text tells us, an earth-shaking announcement. And at first, with the ground shaking and a figure in dazzling white now standing before them, they are terrified, and we can't blame them. I would be in this situation. But the angel now before them says quickly, do not be afraid. I love this. The Easter story here in the Gospel of Matthew begins with an announcement from an angel, an angelos. In the Greek, it means literally a messenger, one who speaks for God. Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus, the one who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. Easter begins with the announcement that Christ is risen. But even beyond that, the angel announces to us all that the story is not over. You know, the women don't tell us with words, and the text doesn't actually say this in there, but we know that for three days now, there had been fear welling up inside of them. Fear of death, fear of loss of power. They had, after all, been working at the feet of the garments of a man believed to be the Messiah, fear of giving up that power, fear of loneliness, fear of failure. We know this because we too have all experienced that same fear at one point or another. But here, on a path at dawn, the angel announces that earth-shaking news, that fear and pain and death do not have the final word in this story. Do not be afraid. He is risen. Friends, the story is not over. The angel's words whispers into all of our ears that this story is to be continued. I met a pastor recently 
who told me another story, and this story was about an associate pastor her church once called. The man they called was older. He was a second career guy. He had a wife and family. He had succeeded academically in a top seminary. He had shown real promise for ministry. And when this church began to search for their next associate pastor, he expressed interest. And one thing leads to another. The spirit moves. And the church felt called to invite this man and his family to come and to be part of the ministry that they were working. But before a call could officially be extended, he got sick. He visited doctors, but no one could quite pinpoint what was wrong. Before long, he was spending more time in a hospital bed than his bed at home. The church, of course, was left in a somewhat awkward situation, left to figure out what to do next when you have a scenario like this one. Do you call a person who you're really not sure will physically even be capable of doing the work of a pastor? Do you create more problems than solutions by voluntarily taking on such uncertainty? Well, the session, which in our Presbyterian tradition is the governing body for a local congregation, the session of this church met, and the decision was simple. It was clear to the elders that God was calling this man to come and to be part of the ministry in their midst, regardless of his current health. And so the call was extended, and soon the whole family had packed their things, and they had moved across the state and into a new house in a new town. And right after they arrived, a church member who worked in the local hospital arranged for this new associate pastor to go and see one of the top physicians in their region. And shortly after that, the diagnosis came down. Cancer. Terminal. This associate pastor died less than five months after being called to the church. But with wonder, that's the only word I can capture, with wonder in her voice, the pastor told me, ten years removed, it's been over a decade since this church had called this man and since he had died, With wonder in her voice, the pastor told me about the incredible impact he had had on their congregation in even that short window of time. She talked about how he had served with enthusiasm, how he had preached courageously, and how when it had come time for him to move to hospice, he wrote a letter to the congregation himself. I didn't read the letter, but from what the pastor told me, his message to his church family was simply that he was not afraid and that neither should they be. This man's witness to the resurrection in life and in writing whispered into the ears of all in that little church that his story would not end with his death. It conveyed his trust that in Christ there is a hope that defeats all fear. Friends, this man's testimony testifies to the life-giving news that we celebrate today, which is that Good Friday always gives way to Easter. You know, in preparing for the sermon this week and looking at some of the other resurrection accounts in the Gospels, it struck me that none of the Gospel stories really do a very good job of wrapping up the Jesus story. It's as if they all get to this part about the resurrection, 
And the writers sort of scratch their heads and they think, well, what do we say next? Scholar Donald Jewell has posited that none of the Gospels can really end the story of Jesus. The whole point is that it continues and that its significance continues. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary received the first in the original announcement that the story continues. And at the angel's insistence, they run off from the tomb to go and tell the other disciples what has happened. But before they can get there, suddenly, as suddenly as the angel had appeared before them, Jesus himself appears before them on the path. And he tells them almost the exact same thing. He says, do not be afraid. Go and announce to the others that I am risen and that they will see me in Galilee. And sure enough, when they go to Galilee, they see the resurrected Christ. And they worship Him. And He commissions them to go out into the world and to continue announcing the good news. And so they do. The Gospel story gives way to the story of the early church in Acts. That book I referenced earlier, which we'll begin exploring appropriately enough next week, the week after Easter. The book of Acts where Paul and so many others spread out across the world as they know it to go and announce the good news that this story is continued. When we pray these final words from the Lord's prayer each week, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. When we pray these words, we join our voices in the long span of announcements that have been made since that morning at the tomb. We announce to ourselves and to the world that the story continues, that Christ is risen, that Good Friday always gives way to Easter. I want to conclude by just noting that we've now spent seven weeks on this series where we've looked at each line of this prayer. And like every prayer, the Lord's Prayer ends with a single word, Amen. In the Gospels, this word in its original Greek translates to verily, or I tell you the truth. Amen is the biblical way of saying this story is true. And so on Easter Sunday, it seems especially appropriate that we pray for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, the angel's words are true. With that empty tomb and that first announcement, we have all been swept up in the great drama of God's redeeming work in the world. I've referenced a book by Stanley Hauerwas and Will Willman and almost every one of my sermons during this series. And they write on this point, that in teaching us to pray, Jesus is making us more truthful, more faithful, Jesus is making us his disciples. We are swept up into an adventure more significant than our lives would have been if left to ourselves. Heaven is open. The kingdom is come. And so together, let us announce this good news to the world by saying together, Amen. Amen. Amen.